The year is 1631. Charles I reigns as King of England, and in that time he commissioned a thousand Bibles to be printed. It happened that the printer did an excellent job. They were beautiful in the way that they were laid out, illuminated on different pages with colors and other things. All thousand were printed. They were almost flawless. There was one problem. In the Ten Commandments, in the Sixth Commandment, the printer overlooked one word, not. And so the printing came out, thou shalt commit adultery. Needless to say, the king had the printer jailed and fined and disposed of any of the Bibles that he could find. I say that because in our society today, in our culture, maybe that is the way that the commandment should read. Thou shalt commit adultery. Because anything goes out in our culture. Anything is available. Anything is there for us. By the way, one of those Bibles that was still left found that hadn't been destroyed uh, was sold recently for $89,000. Just in case you're looking for a copy of that somewhere. You know, as Pastor Mark said in the announcements and several weeks ago, we are going to unapologetically and unashamedly talk about the truth of the Word of God and how it deals with us in our marriages, in our relationships, as the bride of Christ, as our role in a society today that continues to be more and more hostile to any of the truths that Scripture finds. We're going to look at the Word of God this morning. We're going to discuss what it says. We're going to talk about the problems in our world and in the church. And we're going to discuss the word faithfulness. I pledge you my faithfulness. The last line of the wedding vows as they are delivered. And I pledge you faithfulness. To be true to my word, to my commitment. To be bound to you forever. It's also a phrase that we use as the bride of Christ when we are confirmed or brought into membership. That I will suffer all, even death, rather than fall away. I will be faithful to the Word of God, to Jesus Christ, my Lord and my Savior. You know, we look at what Jesus says today in the Gospel. He says simply, from the beginning, God's plan for the world the way that God ordained that things should be. From the beginning, He made male and female. He brought them together in a relationship, and the two were joined forever, became one flesh. That was God's plan. Well, we know the rest of the story. We know that man and woman sinned in the garden, brought destruction and death upon the whole human race in which we are forever living in the legacy of what happened in that garden. We know if we would fast forward to the nation of Israel, now enslaved as a people in Israel for hundreds of years, how God delivered them from that, brought them to Mount Sinai, and there gave them His laws. Laws that would take them back to the beginning. 
You see, they had lived among a pagan people so long that they had no idea because of the culture around them of what was truly right and wrong, of what God's plan had always been from the beginning. They had been steeped in temples of worship of other gods of Bast and Amun-Ra and Horus and whatever else there was and celebrations through temple prostitutes and pagan rituals and all those things. And God wanted his people to know what his plan had been from the beginning. And so he gave his law to Israel to separate them, to make them counter-cultural, to make them to be a people in the midst of a culture that knew nothing of what God wanted or God's design so that they could be a light to the world. So they could bring what God's will was for all of his creation. Well, we know that history too if we would fast forward through it. We know time and time again Israel was faithful and then they were faithless and then they fell and they had to be drawn back again by prophets proclaiming the word of God to them over and over again as they went and became more and more part of the culture around them and less and less as they were supposed to be. I say this because that is what Paul is drawing from as he writes his words to the church in Corinth. Another church that is centered in a counter-cultural area, in a culture that again lifts up whatever we want to do in our lives, whatever we want to do with our bodies. Temple prostitutes, celebrations, there's nothing for them to hold them back. And Paul writes again to the church to you and to me, to the body of Christ, to say this is how we are to be in this culture. If we are going to be people who hold to what God designed in the beginning. And he writes these words, flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. You know, I'm laying down this foundation of Scripture so that we all understand what we believe, what we hold to in the Word of God, what we are drawn to because of the Spirit that has been given to us in our baptism, is counter-cultural. And not only counter-cultural, it is foreign to the world in which we live, to the country in which we live. And not only that, it is downright hostile to them for us to hold to these truths that God designed from the beginning. Well, you know, and I know, what's out there. I mean, any movie, any television show, any magazine, music, whatever media you choose, whatever you want to do in the culture, you're going to find a totally different message. In fact, one of the statistics is that 88% of any portrayal of relationships out in the world are portrayals of relationships of sex outside of any type of marriage, of any type of bond. 
Statistics go on to say that half of all adults under 30 have lived together before marriage, and 60% of those recently married have all lived together before marriage. Unless you think we can sit here in an ivory tower and look out at the world and say, oh, I'm glad it's not us. Josh McDowell, youth leader, theologian, writer, apologetic, was commissioned to do a study on evangelical churches to discuss just this very thing in terms of teenagers and young adults. And here are the statistics for those inside the church. For teenagers, 65% have had some type of sexual contact by the age of 18. 43% had already engaged in full marital relations, and 20% of 13-year-olds had experimented in some way sexually. You see, that's what the culture does to the church if we let what God's plan from the beginning was go the wayside. That's what happened to Israel every time God had told them what to do and they ignored it and went their own way. That's what's happening to many denominations in our nation today who have said, well, the Word of God, these things that are written, that was a different culture, that was a different time. They didn't understand who we are and the celebration of our personal liberties and how we can't do those things and put our ideas on somebody else. And we see even the church going down that same pathway. But God, from the beginning, did not design the world to be this way. You know, I have a very sad personal statistic in all of these things. There was a summer that I call the summer of weddings just in my own background that there were seven weddings that I attended, either sang at or was part of. Seven couples that I went to Concordia Ann Arbor with that we were all friends bound together on this journey of life. And the sad statistic to me is now all these years later, all seven of those couples have been divorced. And every one of those divorces had to do with being unfaithful in some way or another. We are not untouched by what goes on in our culture. We are not left alone. And if we are going to be as Israel was to be, the bride of Christ, to be light and salt in the world, we must come back again to what God's plan is, what God's Word says for us. Reevaluate it. Look at our lives. As we said at the beginning, confess our sin where there is brokenness and failure. Receive forgiveness and stand again on the Word of God. Paul writes these words, I want you to hear them once again for us. I want you to understand what he is saying. Flee from sexual immorality. Flee, run away from it. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. This is not just in marriage. This is outside of marriage. This is our society. Whatever type of thing affects us in sexual immorality is something that will destroy the very heart of who we are as the people of God. 
because Paul is saying we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We are the dwelling place that God has given his own life force to us, the one who has come, who is sent from the Father and the Son, who is God Almighty, who dwells within where worship takes place. And what we do would be equivalent if we don't flee sexual immorality to us doing something that would be unthinkable in this place of worship. Would we ever open our doors here to allow maybe a satanic cult to use this as a place of worship? I would think the answer would be unanimously no. But that's exactly what Paul is saying happens to us if we don't flee sexual immorality. That it comes into the very temple, the place where God dwells in us in His Spirit. And it puts pagan worship in place of worship of God. And it destroys from the very inside the place of holiness and happiness and life and forgiveness and everything else that we have been given by the Spirit in our baptism to dwell within us in this world. It's from within. It creates hopelessness and darkness, and emptiness in our lives. And don't say we don't see it in this world. I can't believe often the statistics that we see today of so many young people who are empty and hopeless and don't know where to turn, who think that life is over and who take their own lives out of despair because of what this does on the inside. You know, Paul says other things affect the outside. We know those results. We know those who go down the roads of drugs and alcohol, of gluttony, of whatever it is. That's things that affect the body, but they don't destroy the temple. They don't destroy the place where God dwells. They don't empty it so that there's nothing there. God calls us in our relationships with one another, in the marriage relationship, in our relationship as the church to Him, to be faithful. You know, some of the words that you would find if you looked up faithfulness are these, loyal, constant, steadfast. You know, one of the things when I have a marriage ceremony that I like to remind the couple and remind those who are standing by is that the people who stand there, the maid of honor, the best man, are witnesses of you making a promise to the other spouse of your faithfulness. And they get to stand there because they are people you care enough about who will be willing to say to you, you are not being honest with your vows. You know, I hope that in our lives we surround ourselves with friends who would be honest enough to us to see us when we begin to drift away from faithfulness in our lives and in our relationships. Somebody that we trust who's honest enough to say, don't go there. Don't go down that road. Don't open that door. You know, we're talking today about faithfulness, about faithfulness in a relationship, about sexual relations, but you know that you can be unfaithful in a relationship, in a marriage relationship, in other relationships, in many other ways, just in case you're sitting there saying, well, I haven't done that, so I'm off the hook. I don't need to listen. There are other ways of being unfaithful. There's emotional unfaithfulness. Did you know that? Where you find someone else outside of your relationship to be your confidant, to be somebody that 
you trust with what's going on in your life. To be somebody that you might say back to your spouse, oh, well, that person just really gets me. To be someone who becomes that friend that your relationship should have that friendship bound to. There's financial unfaithfulness. Games that people play because of lack of trust in their relationships, of not telling someone about a purchase that maybe was made and keeping it secret, or having another bank account that somebody doesn't know about in that relationship. We're unfaithful in those things because there's a lack of trust in that relationship. We don't trust that someone will care for us. We don't trust that God will care for us. We're unfaithful in those things. And then there is substitutional unfaithfulness where someone else becomes the person who is more important to us in our relationship. And it could be someone that we think is totally valid. It could be our parents that we need to still focus on them even though we are told to leave mother and father and to cling only to the one we have been married to. Maybe it's children. We see that again and again where one parent focuses in on the child and leaves the spouse on the outside because after all, aren't they the most important thing in our lives? Or maybe it's inactivity. And guys, for us, maybe it's sports. I've seen relationships drift away because the guy didn't want to grow up, didn't want to leave his buddies, didn't want to leave the team and left his wife all alone. You see, we can be unfaithful in many ways, not just sexually. And there are many subtleties in our life. If you think it's not full frontal, it's on the side. Jesus said that very plainly. Whoever has already looked at a woman with lust in his heart has committed adultery. I like what C.S. Lewis says. If you ever lusted over ham and eggs in your mind, you've already committed breakfast. You see, we don't even have to go down the road of actually doing something to begin to break down the faithfulness in our relationships. Isn't it interesting how God sent the prophets not out into the culture, not to Philistine, not to Cana, but sent to Israel to call them back again and again to faithfulness. And so the Word of God comes to us in the church to call us back to faithfulness again and again in our lives. Because we are supposed to be these people who are counter-cultural. We are supposed to be a peculiar people, as the Scriptures call us, different from the world outside. We know how the world creeps into our lives. We know how it affects us. And God's desire for us is that we would be faithful above all things to Him. That we might know in our faithfulness where the source of life and hope and forgiveness is. You see, what it truly means if we boil down faithfulness, not only as the people of God, but in a relationship of marriage, are the words that Paul says, you are not your own. You were bought with a price. Do you think that way? That you don't belong to you in our society, in our country, in our world. It's all about me. It's all about what I want. I am supreme. But Paul says if we're part of the church, if we're part of the bride of Christ, in our relationships with one another, in our marriage relationships, whatever it is, we are not our own. 
we are to be focused on others first. How hard that is in a society that lauds and extols and lifts up the individual above all things. We are not our own. We belong to Jesus Christ who bought us with a price on the cross that cost him more than we could ever imagine. Bought that we might be people faithful to him, faithful to one another, faithful in our relationships, faithful in our love for one another, faithful in our love for God. Totally counter-cultural. But this is who the bride of Christ is. And this is who we are to be in our relationships. Now I want to remind you that sexual immorality, adultery, whatever form it takes on in our world is not the unforgivable sin. There is forgiveness at the cross for every sin. Every sin has been paid for. And every relationship can be healed if forgiveness and love that comes from the cross is brought into it. I remember one prophet, the Sem, who said the hardest thing for him to ever see a divorce go on in a Christian couple is because it's a failure of the gospel. You see, it's a failure to bring forgiveness into that relationship. It doesn't mean there won't be consequences because of that failure. There won't be brokenness and lack of trust and things that have to be built up again and it might take many years and there are consequences involved and all of that. But there needs to be forgiveness brought into the situation. There needs to be healing that can come only from unconditional forgiveness that you and I have received at the hand of our Savior. We need to go back to the beginning, to God's Word that lays out the plan of life for us, not only as we live, but also as we fail. There was a woman that the crowd brought to Jesus one day who was caught in adultery. They had the right by the law to put her to death by stoning. Jesus knelt down and wrote in the sand, And as he did, he looked up and he said, Which among you is without sin? And one by one, they began to leave. And then finally he looked at the woman. He said, Where are those who accuse you? They're gone, Lord. And he said, Well, then I'm not going to condemn you either. Go and sin no more. Tell me that the forgiveness that she had received from the hand of our Savior didn't motivate her in the future when an opportunity came, when she was in a situation that she thought once again, wait a minute, I've been forgiven. I've had someone tell me that there's hope, that there's a future, that there's life, that this doesn't have to be the way that I have to go. You see, that's why we have to be countercultural. That's why we have to hold to this Word of God. We have to be a place in this culture that still is a place that can bring hope and life and forgiveness and light in the darkness of this world. Because we are people who know that even inside the church as well as outside, we are broken and we are sinners and we have received forgiveness and there is forgiveness for any who walk in our doors, no matter what the sin is. 
You know the last line of the hymn we just sang? For here will I and mine today a solemn covenant make and say, though all the world forsake your word, I and my house will serve the Lord. May we hold to this precious word, to the gospel of Jesus Christ, to his faithfulness to us, that we too may be faithful to one another, to him, and in all of our relationships, that we might hold out hope and light to the world around us. In Jesus' name, amen.